Looking at today's message in Ruth chapter 1, uh, chapter 4 verses 1 to 6, and looking at this, today I titled this, Characteristics of True Love. Uh, Characteristics of True Love. We're going to see this as part 1. Next week we'll see uh, part 2, okay? Uh, so we're going to see uh, characteristics of true love, okay? Uh, as we look at this passage uh, for this morning, we're going to see, and even also next week, as we look at verses 1 to 6 this week, and next week, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 7 to 13, we're going to see there's going to be characteristics of what true love is. Now, backing up a little bit, our world, when you listen to a lot of the songs, when you listen to a lot of the music in this world, what do they sing a lot about? What do they sing a lot about? It's okay to confess now if you listen to secular music. Yeah, yes, right. About a lot of about love and losing your relations, right? Uh, whatever, whatever music genre it is, you see that, right? Or, uh, you know, you hear that in what? Rap and you hear that in pop. You hear that in slow music. You hear that in what? Country music too, right? Okay. Uh, all kinds of music you hear with that. But... We know from the Bible that the world's idea of love is not necessarily biblical. Is that correct? That the world's idea of love is sometimes could be really more about selfishness than really about what? True love, okay? So as we look at this passage today, we're going to be looking at a man named Boaz. And as we're picking up the story, we're moving slower to the climax of him eventually marrying Ruth. Now, he has not married Ruth yet. If you, uh, We're going to see what his, his this action display, what true love looks like, okay? Uh, so today, if you're taking notes, we're going to see two characteristics of true love, what true love entails, so that we will live them out today. Again, if you're taking notes, our purpose today is we will see two characteristics of what true love looks like so that we will live them out today, okay? How many characteristics are we looking at today? Two, okay? And next week, we'll look at another two, okay? So if you're taking notes, these are the two characteristics, okay? Point number one, characteristic number one, true love takes action. True love takes action. This is in verses one through four, okay? Verses 1 through 4 is true love takes what? Action. Okay? So true love takes action if you're taking notes. This is verses 1 to 4. Then the second characteristics is true love is willing to pay the price. True love is willing to pay the price. This is found in verses 5 to 6. Okay? Verses 5 to 6 is true love is willing to pay the price. Okay? True love is willing to pay the price. Let me review again. Our main purpose today is going to see two characteristics of what true love looks like so that we will live them out today. And these two points are what? True love, number one, takes action. This is in verses one through four, okay? And then second point is true love is willing to pay the price. True love is willing to pay the price. This is in verses five through six, okay? So, situating the text, remember, we're starting a new chapter. Last week, we kind of hit a pause to talk about, wait, before we talk about all these marriage things, is Boaz sinning? Is, he, is it permittable to marry a, a Moabite? What about non-Christian? What is it that God's Word says that we can or cannot even marry uh, uh, to people today? Okay. So, we've answered that question, that it is not wrong in of itself to marry a Moabite, if they have trusted in God. Okay. I think we've established that point. So, now, with that uh, obstacle removed... Now we see the drama, okay, picking up here, okay? If you remember last time in Roof 3, Roof 3, just to pick up again, remember that awkward scene we've looked at a very long time with different characteristics. And we, uh, I, why I spent so long in Roof 3 is because I've actually had some times in the past, 
or one time in the past, someone says, you know what, your idea of courtship is not biblical. It's like legalistic. Because look at the, these two. You know, like we could do whatever we want, we, you know, in my room or whatever. No one needs to know. But there's an irony, okay? There's an irony of quoting Ruth 3 to try to say, to try to support super privacy to hide your sins. You know what's the irony? Is that Ruth 3 is what? Written down for all of us, yes? To know, okay? And by the way, you even saw that even though the situation is very, uh, is very awkward, you see Boaz does the right thing to bring others involved, right? He gives her what? Uh, a barley to take it to the mother-in-law. He's going to go to the what? To the public area to let other people know that, hey, I'm going to be pursuing what? Marriage. So it is, it is really ideal uh, that in an un- ideal situation of how a courtship begins, yet Boaz still does the right thing, Okay. We cannot use that to say, oh, you know, I could do whatever I want. You know, someone could be in my room uh, and whatever, and it's all okay. It's not, that's not the purpose. You see that Boaz is heading towards what? To try to do the right thing, even though the courtship is, is, begins in a very unwise and maybe even unbiblical, actually unbiblical way, okay? So when we laugh, last left off in Ruth 3, we're wondering if Boaz would keep his word. Remember how the mother-in-law tells uh, Ruth saying, hey, don't worry, Boaz is a man of action. He's going to do the right thing. Now, chapter 4 answered the question, what did he do? Okay, Ruth 4 has the purpose of showing that, remember earlier last time, Ruth 3, there was an a awkward situation where there's someone closer in terms of relative that uh, in the culture they have the idea of, okay, you marry someone, a widow must be taken care of and the land and also to perpetuate the name. Where once they're married, the first child is actually takes the role of what? The dead husband, okay? Maybe the idea today, if you will, is the idea, the closest understanding is you marry so that the person would have a child with that last name of what? The, the dead uh, husband or the dead father, so to speak. Does that make sense? So there's that culture because the name is important to, to keep. And also I think it's important also as well later on for the genealogy of the Messiah, okay? So here in Ruth chapter 4, we're going to see uh, that Boaz takes charge, okay? Boaz, uh, earlier before, if you notice uh, in the other chapter, Boaz is what? He's re- basically reacting to a lot of things, right? He's not the one to take initiative. He's the one that comes to the field and says, oh, whoa, there's a young woman. So she's, he's reacting to the news, and he's reacting in the best way possible. Ruth 3, here's a woman, sneaks up to him in the middle of the night, and he's like, whoa. What's going on? So he's reacting. But now for the first time in Ruth chapter 4, towards the end of the story, you see that Ruth, uh, correction, Boaz is the one that takes the action. Okay. In fact, in Ruth chapter 4, there is a lot of words that are being spoken. There is a lot of dialogues. If you look at Ruth chapter 4, just the whole chapter, you'll see that there's a lot of what? Quotation marks. Do you guys kind of see that? And, and really, he's going to speak three different times in this section. Three or, or this chapter. How many times? Three different times. For a total of 93 words, he spoke. Boaz spoke 93 words while the other men spoke only 19. Okay? 93 out of uh, 13, what's that? Like uh, almost like 9 to 1 or, or, you know, uh, 1 to 5, right? Okay? Uh, Or whatever, I don't know math. I'm not a math major or a son of a math major, okay? Uh, 93, uh, I'll go by what Mr. Burns says, okay? 93 words. Yes, okay? Yeah, actually, it's over 90%. 90, de- definitely, okay? So, he's speaking a lot, okay? The amount of words that Boaz, uh, from Boaz shows that he's the primary character. He's the one that's going to be doing the action. And as we look at this, we're going to see the characteristics of what does true love look like, okay? 
By the way, we're leaving the realm of women. If you remember, uh, sometimes you hear people say, oh, the Bible's all about men and everything else. But Ruth 3, one of the things I like about the book of Ruth is there's a lot of scene with women, yes? Speaking, even taking initiative. And also the scene at home. Because if you remember, Ruth chapter, every chapter kind of ends with a scene at what? Home, right? Ruth chapter 1, remember, the husbands died. They came back to Israel. And then it shows what? Naomi is home. Ruth chapter 2, remember? Uh, Bo, uh, uh, the daughter-in-law, Ruth, goes to get food, yes? Looks for food, but then it always ends where? She brings the food back home and a discussion about Boaz. Ruth chapter 3, remember, the, began the scene with uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law. Said, oh, I had this great idea of how to get this guy married. It begins at home. She goes after the uh, threshing floor in the field at, in the middle of the night, but then she comes back where? Home, okay? So there's a scene. And Ruth chapter 4, of course, ends also as well with home. And then even beyond, the implication of how it shapes us even today, okay? So we leave now the realm of women, so to speak. And now to the public area, from away from the home. And in the realm of men, okay? In a very public place called the city gate, okay? In the city gate, okay? Uh, with all that setting up, let's now look at our first uh, uh, point. Point number one is true love takes action. True love takes action. This is in verses 1 to 4, okay? Verses 1 to 4. Let me read verses 1 to 4 again. It says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down. And behold, the close relative whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who had came back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. We're looking at verses 1 to 4. You see that there's three specific actions that Boaz takes. Okay? Now remember, he wants to marry who? Ruth. Okay? But he's respecting. So this is not, you cannot use the book of Ruth to say, hey, to have a Vegas style wedding of eloping, right? Run, run away and just be married and through a what? Drive through, right? Uh, don't cheapen your marriage as a what? Wiener Schnitzel drive through, okay? Uh, is not what is going on here. Notice he takes the action. And he's doing everything right in the sight of God and in the sight of men, okay? He does three actions that's taken here. And in one action, one decision that is made by the individual that um, is a neural relative, okay? So these are, this is the first action, okay? Uh, Hector uh, and Albert and David, you guys can pay attention, okay? Uh, the first action, if you look at verses 1, is he made contact with the near kinsman, Okay? He takes action with the nearer kinsman, okay? Notice the, the text focuses on Boaz. In fact, in the Hebrew, uh, the first word in chapter 4 is the word Boaz, even though it's usually verb first, then uh, subject, okay? Uh, the first action, it says, is Boaz, it says, went up to the gate. Now, what's important about this city gate? We have to always go back to the biblical world. We have to interpret things according to the culture of their day, Okay? Turn with me real quick. Put your pinky or thumb and turn with me to Deuteronomy 25 verse 17. Because we see that he went up to the gate. But my question is, what's important about the city gate? 
Again, it's our job to understand the culture of that time. Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, okay? Put your pinky or thumb in root 4 because we'll come back. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 17. Deuteronomy 25, verses 17. Just so I could catch my breath. Go ahead, Josh. Okay, I think I quoted the wrong verse, okay? Um, actually, turn uh, t- with me to Amos, okay? You guys can use your table of content. Uh, Amos chapter 5. Sorry, I quoted the wrong verse for that. Uh, Amos chapter 5, verses 10. Okay? We're going to be looking at uh, several more verses in Amos 5. Just again, we're answering the question, what is important about the city gate, okay? What is it that's important with the city gate that we see? being mentioned here, okay? Amos chapter 5, you guys can use your table content, okay? Verses 10 says, they hate him who reproves him in the gate and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. So we'll stop there real quick. Notice there's correction being done in the city gate. So there's something about the city gate. If you then look down with me in verses 12, this is what it says. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distresses the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. So notice here, there's a correction in verses 10 that's being done in the city gate. And verse 12, it mentions that there are injustice towards the poor that's being done in the city gate. Okay? So what we see here is the city gate somehow involves things of injustice. But this, I think, presupposes that it is a place of justice. I think the best way to think about the city gate is almost like the version of our city hall. Okay? City hall is where, what, the local government takes place. Yes? Okay? Look with me also as well in verses 15. It says, Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Okay? Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So in other words, the best way to think about this is this is a place almost like the local what? Courthouse. Okay? Where important and official and legal decisions are being made. Okay? So you guys see that as background? Turn with me now back to Ruth chapter 4. Okay? So Boaz's first step is he goes to the city gate, okay? He goes up to the city gate, and while he's there, notice it says that he sat down there, okay? This would have been understood as an official action of coming to the gate for what? Legal business. You guys ever been to courthouse before? When you go there, right, you go through the security with the sheriffs, right? You see if you have any metal, they want you down. Then you sit down, okay? But you're, when, so once you're sitting there, you're what? Waiting for official business, to what? Begin. You guys remember? If you guys seen movies or if you guys ever been there, right? When the judge comes up, what did the bailiff say? Arise, right? Respect the law. Respect the person with the office. Then everyone sits down. Sitting down then is we're going into official business. This is what he's doing here. He's going to the city gate, a place of official legal action. And him sitting down here says, I am here for what? Official legal business. And I love how verses 1 says, and behold. Does all your versions say, and behold? Behold is what shows an element of surprise, okay? By the way, the word behold appears in every chapter in Ruth, okay? Chapter 2, verse 4, it was Boaz's surprise when he sees this woman named Ruth. By the way, every time you see the word behold in the book of Ruth, it actually shows that even though it doesn't say God's behind it, it's actually all these coincidences is a time when it appears, the word behold. And all those coincidences are not just coincidence by chance. It is the working of the providence of who? Of God working behind the 
seen. Okay? So, Ruth chapter 3, for instance, Boaz was surprised to find a woman, that is Ruth, lying down. And of course, God uses that for bringing about what? Action, okay? Of him now going to be pursuing marriage. Now, in here, it says, Behold, what is the surprise that we see here? What is the surprise that we see here in verses 1? What is the surprise here that we see in verses 1? The surprise is, it says, quote, The close relative of Boaz, whom Boaz spoke about, was passing by. Remember, he's looking for the person that's closer, that's more qualified in terms of lineage, to marry Ruth, uh, specifically the lineage of her dead husband. So it just happened that this person was passing by. Do you guys think this is just a coincidence or the working of God? What do you guys think? The working of God. In light of the way behold is used here of demonstrating the providential work of God. This le- then leads to him, Boaz, further action, where he invites the man to sit down. Look with me as it goes on. He says, So he said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. You guys see the word turn aside? Do you guys have that in your version? Some of your versions say different words. But turn aside here, literally what it is, is saying, hey, you have a mission. You were probably going out to town, uh, uh, leaving town to see your, uh, uh, your field, your plants and everything else. But turn away from that. There's another purpose, okay? And does your version say, what does it say? Some of your versions say, uh, NASB says friend. Does, your ver- uh, does your, any of your versions say something else? It says turn aside friend. NASB says that. Anyone use any other Bible version? Raise your hand. Okay. Friend, okay. Go ahead. NIV says friend. Friend? Uh, Hoi? The same thing. Okay, NIV, please. Okay. So, it's interesting. All the versions says friend, okay? Um, The word literally in Hebrew is so-and-so. Actually, it's a weird word. Um, The word in Hebrew is, it kind of rhymes. Planoni, amoni, okay? Uh, Many ink has been spilled in a lot of commentaries. And a lot of trees died to write. What does this word mean? Because this is a very strange phrase. Basically, the name means so-and-so, okay? Um, the name literally in Hebrew is Planoni Amoni. I think the best way to think about it is like, in English, when we say random generic person, what do we say? Joe, what? Joe Schmo, okay? It kind of rhymes, okay? So the version of Joe Schmo back then was what? Planoni uh, Planoni Amoni, okay? That's their version, okay? I think there's a significance of this, why it says this. He doesn't name this individual, Okay? I think there's a reason why. This person is, is, the purpose I think is to conceal his identity. Okay? But this book is interesting. Everyone is named. A lot of people are naming this book, right? Even the dead husband of Ruth is named. Even the dead husband of Ruth's sister-in-law or, 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 or her, her, her brother-in-law is even named. Even though they're not really important in the story. But why is everyone named in all this part of the story, but this individual is not named? I think there's a sense of concealing to protect his what? Because in the end, he's not going to marry who? Roof. Okay, so it's, in a sense, maybe it's protecting our, his identity and not to be undignified. But I think it's also as well a juxtaposition of contrast, okay? Because later on, this man will make the decision. Everything he does is a contrast of Boaz. Boaz is a man that displays true love, but this person is a man that is selfish. And he's all watching out for his what? Self. And his own glory. But isn't it so ironic that he, in protecting his, uh, his own name, and want to make sure that his own name is perpetuated. Okay, that's why he's not going to marry uh, Ruth. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. But isn't it so ironic? By the way, the Bible is a very ironic book. Isn't it so ironic that now his name is not even mentioned? And in the Hebrew, I know it says friend. I don't think that's the best sense of this, okay? Uh, other times you see the word appears. 
I think it's to refer to indefinite person. You don't want to name him like First Samuel twenty-one, verse three, Second Kings six eight. We're not turning there, but I'm just saying this. But he's trying to say it's not saying friend. It's saying hey, such and such. Okay, is the editor deciding? The narrator purposely deciding to say hey, we're gonna block his name. Obviously, he's gonna say his real name, but here's blocked out. It's almost like hey, beep, right? Okay, and say oh, who's that person? Oh, he's not important. Okay, not because he's important. His name is blocked out, but he's really not that important. What a contrast, because he's so much full of himself, or, or not full of himself, he's about himself and his own name, that now he's even forgotten. We don't even know who he is, okay? By the way, the more I read the Bible, the more I read the Old Testament, I think the book is what? Rich with, the Bible is really rich of irony. I actually feel the more I see the Bible irony, once you see irony, the beautiful thing is, you never stop seeing irony everywhere else in life, okay? You walk around life, you're like, oh man, that name... Uh, of those two supermarkets next to each other. It's pretty funny, okay? Then you start seeing it. And by the way, then you go to English late class and you see things. And they're like, oh, that's pretty good. Hey, how did you see these things? I said, oh, well, I, I read my Bible, okay? So I actually think for myself, to, to be honest with you, it's my love for the Bible. You guys all know, uh, there's some of you guys know me since high school. I'm that dumb kid who got a 1.7 GPA, okay? 1.7 lowest GPA ever, Okay? That finally went to college and feel like, whoa, English lit is suddenly interesting. Because why? The Bible and living color, all the literary devices of irony and everything else. And also you see, oh, you know, God is not just only funny in the scripture. God sees irony everywhere. Okay? So, you know, God has a humor of a Jewish rabbi. In fact, I think the Jewish rabbi had a humor from what? The Old Testament. Okay? Going back on with this. He calls him to say a sit down. But by the way, now he does the next action is what? So by the way, all of this is driven by his action for true love. His next action is he recruited the elders in verses 2. Okay? He took how many men? Ten of the elders of the city. And he says what? Sit down here. So they sat down. Okay? Um, this is the opposite of what happened earlier. It just happened that this man just passed by. But now he's different. He's purposely going out there to find what? Ten elders. The word elders in Hebrew means beard. Okay? Beard, what does it mean? These are the ones who have, what, legal status as leaders in the community, okay? And assemble how many of them? How many did he assemble? Ten, okay? In Hebrew, in the Old Testament, for legal thing to be, for legal actions, how many witnesses are there? Or let me ask you guys a question, like for weddings, uh, when people sign their marriage certificate, how many witnesses usually ask for? It's optional, but, you know, it's because of the old tradition of how many witnesses to make anything legal? In the, yeah, two or three, okay? What does Boaz do? <laughs> he does ten, okay? He's like three times the amount, okay? Or five times the amount, if you just want to understand, okay? He wants to make sure that his action is what? It has a full backing, okay? Uh, of legal qualification. He's going for a proverbial what? Overkill, okay? This is how serious he is with his action of, of, of love. And his love that drives him to this what? Good way disproportional call for witness, okay? And he's doing all this. And by the way, just to show you also as well, just as important, that he's calling for these men who are very honorable. Also, it shows that Boaz is what? Someone in the community that was honorable, such that even 10 men would stop what they're doing to then therefore say, okay, we're going to look over this serious matter, okay? So what does he does in his next action is in verses 3 to 4. Boaz informed this near kinsman, about Naomi's land, okay? By the way, remember, let me take a step back. Let me ask you guys this question. Why is he doing all this? What's his main purpose? What does he want to do? He wants to, what? 
Mary Ruth, okay? But then if you look at verses 3, is that the first thing he talks about in verses 3? Josh, would you be able to read verses 3? Yeah, what Mr. Burns says, right. No, that's not his first thing he talks about. In fact, he doesn't even talk about Ruth. His first verse, what he talks about, he goes back to the mother-in-law. Her name is Naomi. And it's not just about Naomi, it's just a reference point. And then it talks about Naomi's what? Land. Yes? You guys see that? He's talking about land. Now, the question you might say is, what does that have to do with anything about marriage? Okay? I think here, this is actually the wisdom of Boaz, Okay? He's talking about land first because if he marries Ruth, if he talks about marrying Ruth first and then talk about land, people could be thinking he has what? An ulterior what? Motive. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So he puts everything up front first about the land first, okay? So it doesn't seem like, oh, I have an ulterior motive, okay? In fact, you're going to see later on this man, he's going to respond at first say, oh, I'm going to marry her. When he lays out all the benefits of marrying the land. But then when he talks about the complication then he says, oh, no, I don't really want that land, okay? So what he's doing here is he wants to put everything, what, on the table, okay? Just, and the order, I think, is, it shows his integrity. He's not going to say, I'm going to marry her. And by the way, guys, there's a land and all this. And they're like, oh, now do we really want you? Why are you trying to do all these things? Why didn't you lay it out on the table first? He's a man of integrity. Even his action, in showing true love, he also lays down everything with integrity, okay? By the way, talk about this uh, land redemption, um, Naomi, technically, to be very technical, I know our verbs say buy. Um, technically, Naomi doesn't have the right to sell the land good forever. Because for the Jews, uh, all the land is owned by your ancestral family. Okay, So there's something called the year of Jubilee. You guys ever heard the year of Jubilee? Okay, We often hear the word Jubilee in terms of celebration. But for the Jews back then, every 70 years, the land goes back to its original ancestor. Does that make sense? So here is what? Uh, the land here, okay, being, uh, being sold or, or being uh, given, okay. Uh, so she's selling that because why? She's desperate. She's a widow, okay. So here um, with the situation, you see that Boaz is interesting too. Boaz and Naomi never talks in our story. But Boaz has enough empathy to think about what is Naomi doing. Isn't that so amazing? Mm -hmm. That in this part, you don't see them talk. But Boaz is a man. His true love leads to action. But true love's action drives from empathy of thinking and identifying what someone else is going through. Okay? By the way, his action is not just only for the good of Naomi and with Ruth. He's also watching out for this man's best interest. He's telling him the advantage that this man has is a closer relations. That he has a field. Okay? Now, some of us here, let's just say you're interested in somebody. Uh, in terms of relationship or courtship, most of us would want to downplay what the advantage of that person. But here is this man who has true love, not just only for the person that he wants to marry, but he's also coming up for also telling this person what? Hey, you have an advantage. You have a piece of field that you could have that's owned by a widow, okay? Uh, owned by a widow, and there's no, during that time period, land was passed through the men, and you could have this as one who's close to relations, okay? And here you see him, but then he also explained in verses 3, his involvement. He's also honest. He's saying, hey, I'm not just telling you this, you just freehand. I also am next in line. And if you're not going to redeem this land, hey, I'm actually next in terms of lineage. Okay? The scripture actually in Numbers 27 gives a, a hierarchy of who's 
person which inherit the ne- land next. We're not going to turn there for the sake of time. Also because in Ruth, it doesn't make clear exactly how they're related to the deceased husband. Okay, But you definitely see the kinsmen take it. It's interesting in verses 3 to 4, there's 36 words that are speeches, that are Boaz. And this man responds with two words in the Hebrew. Okay, look with me in the end of verse 4. What does he say? What does he say in Ruth uh, 4 verses 4? He says, I will redeem it. In Hebrew, it's just two words. In fact, he could have just said one word. But he actually added an extra I for emphasis. Okay, Actually, one of the funny things if you're reading this part of the story here is the, the person that says the word I, me, my, mine, myself the most is actually this man, the closer mm-hmm. relative. I think it's interesting. It's actually, I think it's a literary uh, emphasis, what's going on here. That this man is only out for his own interests. But you know who's a contrast of that? You know who's a contrast of someone that shows true love? Is actually Boaz. This man who's unnamed, who's called such and such, who calls Joe Smo or Joe Smuckatelli, right? This man, unnamed all of this, is a foil to show what does true love look like in contrast to someone that's all about themselves. So our application, our first application is this. Do you love... With words, or do you also love that that shows action? Does your action show that you're loving? Are you someone that says I love you, but then your actions show otherwise? My brothers and sisters, is that not to be? How do you show your action of love towards others? Ask yourself this question: How do you show love for your family? How do you show love for your parents? That matters. How do you show love for your siblings? your spouse, and your children, okay? You know, this has application for all of us. Well, all of us towards our family, right? Okay, by the way, even how do you show love with your competitor as you've seen this man situation here, okay? Which now leads to point number two. Point number two, if point number one is true love uh, has action, true love, point number two is this, if you're taking notes, true love is willing to pay the price. True love is willing to pay the price. This is in verses five through Six, okay? The man earlier has just says, I will redeem it. He says, I'll redeem it when everything is laid out very easily, okay? But true love, does that mean you only love when things are easy? What do you guys say? True loves, loves even when it is difficult, okay? Verses five to six, where our second point is, I want to make the point is this. It is natural to do good for your, when it is for your advantage, but love says, I will do what is right and what is good, even for others, even if it means to my disadvantage. Okay? Verses 5 to 6 says this, Then Boaz says, On that day, you buy the field from the hand of Naomi. You must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased of his inheritance. The closest relative says, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have the right my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Okay? Verses 5 begins Boaz's second speech. Okay? Remember, this man just responded by saying, Oh, I will redeem it. But now Boaz presents a complication. He presents, Okay, just before you do this, I need to let you know. In other words, what he's doing is what? He's getting, you know, like uh, when you ever hear a commercial, right? Buy one, get one free. And then they say the words really quick, right? You know, certain conditions apply. That's what he's giving here. He's also saying, hey, certain conditions apply, okay? What he's informing the near kinsmen is the price that is involved. Hey, if you get this land, 
uh, there is also a price, okay? Okay, let me say this real quick. Verses 5, what I'm going to say here is verses 5, I think uh, when I check almost, I think all the, I'm, uh, I'm going to disagree with all the English version, okay? Now, I know what I'm going to say is like, you might say, oh, okay, well, that's kind of dangerous, okay? Now, look at verses 5. I'm going to read my translation, okay? But I, I think it reflects the Hebrew. And when you read the commentaries, the commentaries are affirming of that, okay? Pay attention. Let me, I'm going to read my translation and just compare it with that, okay? And then I'm going to ask you guys, what is the difference between what I translate? Like, I'm going to tell you about like word difference, like a slight like difference of word order of that, but like a significant meaning difference, okay? I'm going to give my translation and follow along verses 5. Boaz said, On the day you claimed the field from the hand of Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, I will claim... In order to raise the name of the dead upon his allotted land. What's the difference between my translation and most of our English translation? Is you see the part where it says, uh, after uh, it says, who's, okay, in your version in verse 5, who claims, who needs to marry Ruth? Go ahead. Yeah, I'll read it one more time, okay? Boaz said, on the day you claimed the field from the hand of Naomi, and from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, I will claim in order to rise the name of the dead upon his allotted land. Do you guys see the difference? Who is the one that's going to marry uh, Ruth in verses 5 in our English version? Boaz. Uh, or actually, uh, it's that man. He's saying, hey, you, right? So this is Ruth speaking. You get, I mean, uh, Boaz speaking. Your version say you will claim that. You will marry. Mm-hmm. In, I think the Hebrew, and the Hebrew is very clear, there's no variant or any of that in, the, in terms of the original text. It is actually, Boaz is saying, I will marry Ruth, okay? I will marry Ruth. I think the reason why there's a struggle is because uh, English versions, like, they're like thinking, uh, and by the way, this old Hebrew, there's like this, some of the cases I think I, by the way, the book of Ruth is actually one of the hardest book I've ever prepared, okay? I've spent more hours perverse than any other part and I think it's not just when I think it's Hebrew I think oh no when we went over um, the other books it was actually pretty like reasonable this is uh, the hardest book I've ever in terms of translating okay some of the tenses are old old Hebrew okay uh, the cases look differently but uh, even there's no variant where the words look a different way it's very clear in the Hebrew it says I will redeem it why the English does it the translation says you will is because I think a lot of times we're thinking, wait, it makes no sense. If you get the land, obviously the one that gets the land has to marry who? Ruth. Actually, the order should be you marry Ruth and then you get the land, right? So why is now suddenly is all this? And I think what he's trying to do is saying this. You can have the land. This is how, uh, this is how gracious he is. He's saying, you want the land? I'll give you the land. But you know, you should be marrying this girl, but I'm going to marry her instead. Okay, I'm going to marry her instead. Okay, so the complication here is what he's trying to say is, is that Boaz is telling this man, hey, I want to marry Ruth. Okay, I want to marry Ruth. And he even shares the reason why. He shares the reason why in verses 5 is that so that what? Her dead husband might have a name, be perpetuated. There's a lineage. In other words, that dead husband will be able to have what? so to speak, a, a, a man, a, a son, that would be able to take care of the widow, his widow, and also what? When she's old, and also to pass down the family name, so to speak, okay? 
So if this was our context, this would be saying, okay, Ruth and Boaz marries, but then their, the first child's name is going to be last name according to Ruth's former husband. So he could pass down the family name. That's what the equivalent of what's going on here. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to marry her for this purpose. Which, by the way, shows that Ruth, Boaz's desire to marry Ruth wasn't just sentimental. I think there's a sense he was drawn to her. He was attracted to her. But it was more than that. It wasn't just economic. He's not saying, oh, I'll marry her just so I could have some land. Because he's willing to say, you know what? You could keep this land. But I want to marry who? Her. Okay? Uh, do you guys see now how honorable Boaz is? Do you see how self-sacrificing he is? He's willing to what? Count the cost. So love is willing to count the cost, okay? He's, love is willing to count the cost, okay? And he uses the language to, uh, of securing the name for the dead heavily. And it looks so similar to Deuteronomy 25, uh, 25, 7. Is he's trying to say, hey, I'm not just only doing it for economic, but he's doing this also out of moral obligation. Yeah, I want to take care of her and also want to honor the name of the dead. Okay? Do you see this? True love doesn't just lead to action. True love, what is Boaz doing? He's saying what? I'm not getting the Maybe think of it this way. Maybe think about even today, modern wedding. Sometimes people, you hear there's drama with, you know, with the in-laws, mamas, and, and all of that, right? Over what? Oh, you know what? Who's going to pay for the wedding, right? Sometimes that could be like, you know, I don't want to get into that, but just an example. But let's just say you say, okay, in order the person say, are you willing to marry that person? You can say, oh, you know what? I don't want anything inheritance from, I don't want your in -law, my in-laws to cover the wedding. Some people might even fidget, say, oh, and he's saying, no, I want to marry her so much. I'm willing to forego the privilege of, say, covering for the wedding. Maybe that's modern day equivalent or, or inheriting your health or whatever else that is. Does that make sense? He's saying, I will marry her still. Despite all of this, okay? So did you see that he counted true love counts the, what? Cost. He's willing to pay the cost. But now let's look at this man. Is he at an advantage? What do you guys think? Is this man at an advantage? The other guy? Yeah, okay. By the way, I even love how he even calls her like Ruth the Moabitess. Just to remind him like, hey, remember, this is someone you want to count the cost uh, and all of that, okay? Maybe your own name and all of that, okay? But then if you look at verses 6, you're going to see this man's reaction, this closer relative's reaction. And his reaction is what? He thinks the price is too what? Too high. Okay? Verses 6 says this. The closer relative says, I cannot redeem it for myself. Isn't it so interesting? Earlier he says, I'll redeem it. When everything is good. But now when he hears, okay, you're going to marry who? Ruth. Okay? By the way, the reason why he says no is not because he wants to marry Ruth. But let's read his explanation. He says, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Stop there real quick. He's saying why he doesn't want the land is what? Is because of economic reason. Okay? He doesn't want to jeopardize his inheritance. Okay? Actually, the word inheritance, I think, is also unfortunate. I think the better word is to say land. Okay? Uh, inheritance has the idea you die and then you pass on to somebody. But the Hebrew word, uh, it's maybe more awkward. The way I translate that is allotted land. It sounds more awkward than the word on inheritance, which I, I understand why the comment, uh, translators are doing that. But in verses 6, he's watching it for himself, right? Then he says, redeem it yourself. And you might have my right of redemption. And then he clarify again, I cannot redeem it. How many times do you say you cannot redeem it? Twice. Beginning and end of this sentence, okay? Why is that? I think to back up what was going on here, remember, Boaz, is, he's not 
you hear a lot of times uh, preachers preach this and say, look, uh, you know, oh, he has to marry her and then all of that. He's forcing. I actually think what he's doing is not saying, hey, marry her. He's actually saying, I'm going to marry her and you get to have the lamb. Fair enough? Mm-hmm. And the guy says no. Not because he wants to marry Ruth, but he's still thinking about what cost it will be to him. Mm-hmm. To back up to understand this, I think we need to understand there's four possible action decisions this man have. Okay? Four possible decisions he has in light of now the complicated factor that Boaz wants to marry Ruth. These are the four possible actions. Number one, he can redeem the field and also marry Ruth. Thus, therefore, he fulfills the responsibility of what? Kinsman Redeemer. That's one action, right? But he doesn't want to marry who? Ruth. Because he wants a name for himself, not to perpetuate someone else's name, okay? So he's about me, myself, and I, okay? Point number two, he could redeem the field and claim Ruth, but then turn it down later. But then he can't do that because he's not keeping his word and he's not going to be what? Very prestigious in the city gate. And in the culture, face and names means everything. And he's going to bring shame on himself. So that's not a very likely decision. But that's a possibility. Does that make sense? Decision number three. He could redeem the property and instead of marrying Ruth, he marries who? Naomi. Okay? Technically, you get the land through who? Naomi. And then, by the way, there's an advantage of, uh, or there's a weird thing and an advantage. The advantage is this. The good news and the bad news is the same. Naomi is old, okay? Part of being old is she's not going to have any other children. She made that clear in Ruth chapter 1. Remember telling Don, I cannot have any kids anymore. How am I going to be able to provide you someone to be married within our lineage, okay? So the good advantage that he has is what? She's old. Therefore, she would have no kids. And therefore, that land is his. It's not going to go to another what? Family. Does that make sense? That land he gets from Naomi will always be his because she can never have that. But then the disadvantage is what? Oh, she's old. That's kind of awkward maybe, marrying someone that is old. Think about marrying your grandma, so to speak, okay? Or or not your grandma, a grandma's age, okay? But, uh, you know, uh, with that, it would be a great economic advantage. But then there's a complicated factor. Who wants to marry? Boaz wants to marry who? Ruth. And Ruth is the daughter-in-law of what? Naomi. Naomi. And if Ruth and Naomi has a kid, who's the one that's closest relations to uh, the dead man? That Naomi's, uh, uh, Ruth's what? Kid. So then he saw, oh, if I have this land, but now if you suddenly, even if I married Naomi, but then there's no kids, the next closest uh, lineage for the next generation is going to be who? Boaz and Ruth's kid. And therefore, he's at economic disadvantage again. So he's, so I get, by the way, if you think today's family drama is only in uh, Ukrainian drama or today's world, uh, uh, what do you call that? Um, you know, like soap opera of today. Dude, this is like, this is high time drama, okay? Also as well, okay? So here he sees that. Or the last option is what? He could just reject the offer altogether. And in light of all this, and by the way, I think Ruth and Boaz really is not trying to, what, take the land, steal it from him, and undercut him. He's been very clear from the upfront. But with his mind, he cannot see any possibility whatsoever of a loss. So what does he do? He can't even say, oh, I'll have this field for a little bit, and then yeah, you'll get it back. But at least this time I could cultivate it, sell more things, and be more richer. But he's just so full of, full of himself to some extent that he cannot do that. So then he does the fourth option. Reject things all together. And that's the decision he has. But what a contrast. 
What a contrast that Boaz was willing to count the cost, willing to say, you can have the land, but I'm going to marry Ruth to perpetuate a name, and you can have that yourself. So in contrast, the application, are you willing when you love others, do you count the cost? Do you pay the price? And are you willing to pay the price? By the way, love means, I think it is biblical to say love. I know sometimes I see on Facebook and social media, say love does, doesn't require hurt, blah, 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 all of that. But I think biblically, love is willing to pay the price. And we think of the greatest price paid by who? Jesus, to show love for us. What a great motivation for us to love, show true love. Let's close in a word of prayer.